Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drivers! Start your engines! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circuits program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about this past week in racing and preview next week. Joining me in the studio, Richard Uden and Louise Torres. Fellas, how we doing? Good, thank you. Going pretty good, except for the F1 life, but it's going pretty good. Except for the F1 life, yeah, I got you. We'll get, <laughs> we'll get into that a little, little later in the show. Uh but uh, my gosh, we've got a lot to talk about uh, tonight after, you know, earlier this week, I was afraid we'd be shy topics, but there's been enough news this week to kind of really give us a full show. But let's start with the final race of the NASCAR regular season, uh, where we have uh, crowned a regular season champion, champion who is uh, young Kyle Larson. And we have set the field for the playoffs. And those 16 drivers that may be making the playoffs are the aforementioned Kyle Larson, Ryan Blaney, who won at Daytona, making it two in a row. Also, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, Denny Hamlin, William Byron, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Kurt Busch, Christopher Bell, Michael McDowell, Eric Amarola, Tyler Reddick, and in the final spot, Kevin Harvick, who uh, winless this year, which is odd. You know, uh, we're, we're used to seeing... Harvick uh, contend week in and week out, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, he got enough, enough of a job done to, to make it in the playoffs. And hopefully he'll be able to come alive here um, because we just really haven't heard much out of Harvick uh, this year. It's been kind of a, uh, you know, the Kyle and, and Ryan show are the, the two winning his drivers out there along with uh true X and uh, chase Elliott have had good seasons as well. So, but let's talk about Daytona Louise. You had a chance to watch the race. Yeah, certainly it, it- First of all, with this first race, with this new plate package after all that hoopla with Logano flying over at Talladega and all, for the first 147 laps, it was looking pretty good. It seems like, okay, there's been some multiple car incidents, but people can't avoid them. Then it kind of went down to hell afterwards where splitters became a problem again with the grass where a multi-car accident that... Without the splitters, if it was like the Valens of back in the day, it would have been just a long yellow. But no, when you have splitters and Ryan Newman going through the grass to avoid the wreck, unfortunately it didn't destroy his car, they had to stop the race because primarily because there was grass all over the backstretch, or as in Daytona, what it used to be called the super stretch back in the day. 
And then you have your typical multi-car accidents late in the race where it wipes out about a good chunk of the field. Another last lap back entry turn, last lap turn three entry incident that wiped up essentially almost the whole field. But the race was already ultimately decided with Ryan Blaney getting back-to-back wins his third of the year. We talked about like for much of Ryan Blaney's career, oh, he only wins once a year. Now he's got three wins, and that thrust him from being probably in the middle of the playoff seed to number two behind Kyle Larson. And he's also got a ton of momentum going into the playoffs. I mean, nothing, nothing says you're good to go for the playoffs like uh, finishing off the regular season with a couple of wins. No, for sure. And bl- this, this thing about Blaney, because there's been a once, I think one or two times in his playoff run where he might have been a championship for Dark Horse. I think one year he came, I felt like he was probably going to win it all. Not, not let me rephrase it, make it to the championship for, but that hasn't happened. But with the momentum he has, I would not count him out as a championship for a contender. I see he's been knocking at that door. He just needed some spark to happen. The only thing is that this is Todd Gordon's last season as crew chief. So who knows how he'll fare in 22. But he's stepping up to be probably the future of Team Penske, which it's, it looks like it's going to be that way. We'll see how Austin Cedric fares. And we'll see how Joey Logano pairs up with compared to Blaney because I think it's safe to say that Blaney's finally going to hit his story. Like I felt like he can achieve and maybe do something in my, that Dale jr. Couldn't, and that is be a popular figure and win a championship. I mean, we already have one that won a championship, but there's people claiming it as a Mickey mouse champion, like everyone from 2020 because of the pandemic and all that hoopla, but that's a different story for another time. I was going to say you're, you're digging deep, deep for conspiracy right now. No, there's some. No, there's sex. There's some people that like to claim that Elliott's championship in 2020 is Mickey Mouse, like LeBron James and the Lakers were as Mickey Mouse because of the whole pandemic and other reasons. But yeah, and that's just a weird conspiracy that I just like. Okay, it is what it is. Whatever. Say, think, think what you will. But if Elliott, Elliott showed up at the end when it matters most. That's what you got to do late in the season to show up. When it matters most, and that's how you probably end up winning championships. Look at Jimmy Johnson for much of his career. Yeah, you've got to know how to play that playoff game. Yeah, or no further than look no further than Tony Stewart. We talked about Kevin Harvick. He had a great showing at Daytona. Just got wiped up by essentially Kurt Busch turning clipping Daniel Suarez, and that in the closing last Tyler Reddick, you could have. We could have written you could have written off Tyler Reddick multiple times because when Reddick got involved in the what was it the the big one with the red flag, you thought his day was done, oil everywhere. Austin Dillon's gonna make it, and then going into overtime, Austin Dillon was like what three to five points behind Reddick. All he needed to do is probably finish in the top three, ideally win, or Reddick to fall back a few more spots and he'd be in it. But you had Corey LaJoy, Chris Buescher, Daniel Suarez, Bubba Wallace. You had so many at the very end that wanted that final playoff spot for where they had to win, period. Ryan Priest, Ricky Stenhouse as well. But in the end, it was Ryan Blaney that got tremendous help by Corey LaJoy to get the job done. Imagine if LaJoy were to somehow win that thing. 
one race removed after sitting out because of COVID protocols and goes in the way to Daytona and puts himself in at around a 16. What yeah, a that been something. That, that would be remarkable, yeah. But back to Blaney, uh, and, and to your point uh, of Blaney kind of coming into his own, I, I really feel that, that that is the case. He spent the last couple of years kind of in the shadow of Brad and Joey. You know, he, he'd been the, the other Penske guy. You know, again, like you said, collecting a win here or there along the way. But I just see this guy continue to drive better and better and smarter and smarter and, and with a lot more confidence. I think he feels like, you know, the he doesn't feel like that third wheel anymore. He feels like he's, you know, he could could as easily be the number one driver as much as, you know, Brad or, or Joe, even though, you know, they say there's no actual number one driver. But, you know, particularly with, um, you know, Brad he- Brad headed elsewhere, um, for, for the immediate future. I mean, what better of a time than, you know, Ryan to kind of uh, step up, uh, flex his muscle here. And perhaps like you said, I think he's going to be one of the favorites for this championship. Now, now Richard, you've been a little quiet over there. Yes. Yes. So uh, let's talk about this thing with the splitters. This always seems to be an issue. And I guess the two things you could do is one, Get rid of all the grass and just pave all that, <laughs> pave all that and paint it green, or yeah. or you know we could uh, add clearance to the car, uh, or just remove the splitter. I, I don't. I mean, what are what are your thoughts on the whole? It seems like they do more harm than good at times. Well, for start, your front splitter is a, a massively important aerodynamic part of the car. There, the basically you're, you're same as your front wing on an open uh, open wheel car. And they do generate a huge amount of downforce, so they're they're pretty critical to a performance of uh, of these vehicles. Um, I mean, there was a third option there, uh, frankly, he didn't mention, and that was to not drive through the grass in the first place. You know, well, yeah, that that goes without saying. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think anybody intentionally says, "Hey, let me try to shortcut the trioval." Yeah, that's uh, a wreck avoidance. I think it just happens. <laughs> and also, yeah, that no, grass course, is integral with the road course for the Rolex 24, too. But, I mean, and they have it at every circuit, pretty much. Every trioval uh, that I can think of has some sort of grass section at the front there. And, you know, I, I know what you're saying there, but at the end of the day, they, they you don't it's not like a deterrent, is it, or anything like that? Because you know, if you get spun out, you get spun out. You're not going to be thinking about the uh, the, the the consequences of it at that moment in time. But I, I I don't see an issue with it. Yeah, it makes a bit of a mess of the car, and it can damage it. Yada yada yada. But uh, you know, N- NASCAR is one of those series that you know over the course of of 30 odd races or whatever they're having 36 races or whatever, whatever you have in a season, you know, that's not going to stop you from winning a championship, whatever. Yeah. It may make a mess of a race. It may bring out a red flag or a you know long caution in the race, whatever it may be, but I don't think it's particularly dangerous. And yeah, it makes a mess of the car and the like, but I, I, I don't have a huge issue with, uh, with that on the, on the, on the, on the track there. Um, now, now the, you know, the greenskeepers at the tracks disagree with you. Yeah, but if you get rid of the grass, you don't have any greenkeepers at the track. There you go. Right? Yeah, the, the, those poor guys are out of work. So, so. The, 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 they probably do agree with it to a certain extent. But you know what? It, you know, they, they, they have enough money for that. So I'm not going to 
you know and i just think that it yeah i mean it can ruin a guy's race when he just you know if, say he's avoiding a wreck and he has to go low on the grass he can rip a splitter off and it it does potentially ruin a race for the guy yeah i get that but I mean, would it hurt to remove the grass and just put like an AstroTurf down or a spray painted sort of surface? It probably wouldn't. Or you could put like a high friction green surface like they have at, um, you know, Paul Ricard or something like that, which could potentially be safer. I mean, my still, my um, biggest concern actually with the whole trioval makeup is. Um, you know, the potential of uncontrolled cars going onto pit road, coming through that area. Um, now, we think back to, I'm thinking of the one incident with Brad Kozlowski at Pocono, which I know is a slightly different situation because they, they're not a triathlon, they don't have grass, but he did lose control of the car and end up going down pit lane, pit road. But, you know, what happens if there'd been, you know, a pit stop in progress there or something? I, you know, I, I think that, and it's still, it blows my mind even today that in, in, you know, the stage we're at with the safety levels, we're at, we don't have a wall between the edge of pit road and, um, and that grass runoff area. Because if you do spin out on it, you know, you've got zero grip. You can't stop the car. You can't change direction. Um, that's my biggest concern with that. Yeah, well, uh, particularly like, particularly if, it had, if it like has rained earlier in the day. Oh yeah, we yeah. Go, I mean, it's we like go a, through, you know, go through great lengths to dry the track, but they don't dry that grass. That grass, that no, grass it's like a swamp. No, hold on to the moisture, and we've yeah. seen a number of guys just get in that wet grass, and then you know, then it's just uh, it's it's totally out of your hands. You just have to wait. Yeah, it's yeah. You either get stuck or pull a beautiful slide like Ricky Rudd in the 03 Coke 600 one time, where you got but, yeah. nothing but water poured in, or even Kyle Busch in 2005 where. His car was completely mudded because of the long rain delay, and also we had rain affect the Xfinity race where they had to finish it in the the following day. Yeah, I just think that they, they you know they can tidy that up in terms of safety, but I don't think personally there's any issue with a few sods of turf being kicked up and a splitter being ripped off. I mean, it's, it's part of it. You know, you just got to put it down to whatever, and you know, and, and move on. And as I say. Over the course of a 36 race championship, losing one splitter because you get punted off into the grass, you know, isn't going to cost you a championship, I don't think. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so let's uh, get back to the race. And uh, it was Chris Busher who crossed the finish line second, um, but he was disqualified post race, lost his position. That handed second place to Bubba Wallace and the 23 XI team. For their best finish of the year. I mean, here's a team that, that went into the year with a lot of high hopes, a lot of expectations, but, you know, between co-owners, Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan, uh, lots of good sponsorship money, um, assist assistance from uh, Joe Gibbs. So this, you know, finally, uh, they've got a really, really good result here uh, to be proud of. And this, and then on, on the heels of, uh, of also the news that um, they will be, running a second car next year and a certain Mr. Kurt Busch will be in that second car. Yeah, for sure. For Bubba, it's, I think it's the second top five of the year. The other one taking place on at the second Pocono race. Yeah, the second Pocono race. But yeah, I everybody has been saying if there's one guy that was going to probably break, break through and make the playoffs was Bubba. And 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. He was at the line two spots, Dice, but in results is one spot short behind his buddy Ryan Blaney. And so it was a superb run. I Even when he at Daytona in the 500, he had a nice show. And so it doesn't surprise me he was going to do that well. But yeah, it, it seems like 2311 are looking to turn things around to where maybe they they can outclassify Trackhouse's 9019 that also is going to two cars next season with Ross Chastain. So both Ganassi drivers will have a home with the two more talked about new teams based on the co-owner side of things. But Kurt going to 2311, I think it's a neat way to build upon because if you we talk about how Alonso is with, with some of the teams, I'll eliminate the toxicity elements of it. But with Kurt Busch, with any team, look at Phoenix, look at Furniture Row, even with Penske for a little bit. He knows how to make teams look good and become better over time. The only one that he really didn't, per se, was Penske to some extent. But every other team he's been with, he has. Ganassi are in much better position than they than when than they are than they were when Kurt before Kurt arrived because back then you had Larson and McMurray. Larson was still trying to hone his NASCAR craft, and McMurray was just there floundering a bit with some flashes of brilliance. But with Kurt and Ross, they seem like they're finally clicking. And Kurt has had really good runs as of late since that Atlanta win, even before his win at Atlanta, Kurt was having some good runs. So if you want to keep an eye on a dark horse for the championship, maybe Kurt is your guy. I don't know how far you'll make it, but I wouldn't count him out to make a good threat of being a championship for contender. But Kurt going to the 45 next year with the blessings from Kyle Petty to use that number because it's been since 2008. That 45 has been on the cup level. I say it'll be a good keep an eye on. I think Kurt will do well with that team and also could join a rare list of guys to win with four, at least four different manufacturers in their cup careers. Because oh, yeah, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, he, he wanted a Dodge. Yeah. He wanted a Dodge. He wanted a Ford and a Chevy. Yeah. Yeah. The real, real quick to wrap up with Daytona couple of first time top 10 finishers and B.J. McLeod and Josh Balicki. Balicki finished 11th with Busher's DQ. He fit, ended up getting his first top 10, which is Rick Burr Racing's third ever top 10 in the Cup Series. Their first, last year, they had two with David Reagan and Brennan Poole. This year, they finally got one through Balicki. And how Balicki ended up being 
Rick Ware Racing's only saving grace is the fact that he was ahead of the other three Rick Ware cars, which they all pile into each other, which kind of ultimately led to the typical Daytona calamity that we saw with the big one. The other big wreck that took out Kyle Busch and Cass Grala. Grala T-Bone Kyle Busch, he suffered, if I remember, sustained ankle injuries, but he is medically clear to run. But he did got hurt in that accident very late where he's just completely T-boned Kyle Bush big time. That's where Bush got the heavy damage from that whole ordeal. And who else just stood out? But yeah, those are the ones that stood out. Hendrick Cars had good showing, but you still got to beat Ford and Team Penske. Albeit Logano Keselowski wants to get it imploded over other people's mess or their well doing. Well, Logano had a flat tire where he was bottoming out way too much. But in fairness, Penske was able to get the win. Kind of the telltale of the season that Fords are going to be strong in a match mentality. We're going to see the same thing. So you got to beat the Fords, period. Yeah, yeah. The, the Fords have that uh, those uh, restrictor plate or plate races, uh, what they call them now. Um, the super speedways, essentially. Super, super speedway package, yeah. Yeah, because it's not an actual restrictor plate anymore. Um, you know, but then again, you, you know, they Indianapolis still has Carburation Day. So we can call it what we want. Yeah. Um, so, so we're off to Darlington, which is, oh, one of the, the more unique tracks on the schedule. One of the one of the oldest ones. One of the, um, you know, this being the, uh, the Labor Day weekend, this is one of the, Really a crown jewel event, the the Southern 500 uh, that uh, was on Labor Day weekend forever until it had moved and it was, you know, a few years ago reinstated to its proper place. Now it's the it's the kickoff to the to the playoffs. And we've got just looking at this thing. It's it's the guys that are on the the, the bottom half of that 16 that, that really need to kick their game up and uh, try to grab a win. Uh, you know, for fear of being eliminated after the uh, after the third race of the um, of, of the round. Yeah, this one is easy to tell who's going to be in the bottom four. But as a matter of fact, I was mentioning it right now. I think my bottom four would be, albeit I said early in the year, the beginning of the season, one of my bold predictions was Kyle Larson was going to fall out of the first round. I just don't see it. <laughs> not, nobody really no, thought. Not, not after the season he's had. No, that'll be a huge surprise. It'll still live a huge surprise if that happens. So this one is probably one of the more easier bottom fours you can name of. The fourth and final one is kind of a wild card, but I'll mention why in a bit. Bottom four, McDowell, Amarola, Reddick, and Joey Legato. I feel like there's going to be that usually that surprise one guy that falls out of the first round. We tend to have that. I feel like Legato's going to be probably that guy. I just... I just don't see him really getting his season turned around, to be honest. All right. Well, I mean, that's, that is kind of bold, you know, because Logano usually runs pretty well in the playoffs. Uh, so you, but you feel like a guy like Christian Bell is pretty solid through the first couple of rounds. I think Bell will crack, will make it by just fine. Same with Harvick, Hamlin and Kurt Busch. I think they'll be just fine. The only one that I am more iffy, aside from Joey Logano, is probably Alex Bowman. Yes, he has three wins. And he also lightly, doesn't he? Yeah, and also you have, true. I would consider Truex to keep an eye on because 
had Darlington, if Darlington was not on this playoff run, I actually would have Drew X out of the first he'd be the first four out. Because what honestly, Truex has not had the, when you really look at it, Truex has had good runs, but nothing that stands out at all since his Darlington win. Yeah, he had a couple top threes like at Sonoma and a couple then and there, but he's not stand out since that win. So if you want to talk about who somebody who needs to get it together and deliver big, that this is the perfect time for Truex to showcase look, I'm still capable of winning races. And what happened between Darlington till now, it's just a bump on the road. Well, and we're going to Darlington, which uh, maybe, you know, obviously he's got a pretty good setup there. Um, yeah, Truex obliterated, obliterated the whole entire competition in the Goodyear 400. Only for The only way Truex was not going to win is if Kyle Larson ran out of laps or wear out his tires to where he ran out of laps because Larson was catching him. And I feel like for this one, Larson's probably going to start off the the championship run, quote-unquote, with a win at Darlington, which will be, to my knowledge, just, no, he won the 600, so it'll be his second crown jewel win of his of the year and his career as well. All right, so that's your prediction. Richard, who do you like for Darlington? Ooh, Darlington. Um, he, he can't really look past... Larson, can you really? Um, you know, Blaney's in good form. You know, you could carry that momentum. Uh, any of the, you know, Kyle Bush is never going to be far away, but let's go. Let's go, Larson. All right. And I'm going to, I'm going to go with True X then, just for the reason we just stated that he dominated up there in the earlier race. And, you know, he's here's a guy who also knows how to come alive in the playoffs. Here's a guy who knows how to win, win some championships. So, uh, so that'll be this coming weekend. Uh, this past weekend, we had Formula One and Spa. Spa in the rain <laughs> is always fun to watch, but mm, there was a bit more yeah. rain than we would have liked to have seen. And it, as it turned out, it's uh, caused a lot of controversy because we only had literally one formation lap and two laps under a safety car. We had a start from the pit lane. We pulled on in and we called it a race and we awarded half points and let the guys celebrate on a podium and sent the fans home. Um, now, now the, the backlash of that is, you know, been a number of different things. Uh, one first and foremost that, uh, you know, was it even safe to send the drivers out there in the first place as wet as it was. Um, you know, was that was the reason they sent the drivers out was that there were no intent to ever go green. They just wanted to get enough laps in the color an official race. So we would have protection from people wanting ticket refunds right, where some of the other stories float around. Or was there a legitimate break in the rain that they were hoping to uh, uh, race under safety car until the weather let up? I don't know, Richard, what, what are your thoughts? So to answer you, your first question, I don't think that um, they were trying to do this to avoid having to compensate the fans. I think the reason they did this was, per your second point, they wanted to um, you know, make it an official race. I don't think there was anything more than that. Um, you know, they, they, they had an opportunity. There was no other, excuse me, there was no other window available to them to uh, try and complete the race. 
So they they they, they had a, the only opportunity that they had was to run it on a limited schedule uh, or a limited uh, number of laps, get it as a classified race, and everybody take home half points and thanks for coming. Um, move on. Now that's not to say for by any stretch of the imagination that they won't do something to compensate um, the fans that did turn up and watch the race. You know, you you buy a ticket to watch a Formula One race and they didn't. Um, and I think under this new um, regime, if you like, with the Liberty Media running the sport and the FIA being a lot more open and sort of interactive with the fans I firmly believe that they will do something to compensate the fans whether that will be a reduction in tickets for next year or something along those lines um, I think you'll see something like that but I, I certainly don't think this was a an attempt to sort of um, you know force their hand to to avoid paying compensation because I firmly believe that um, if they had wanted to, to, to sort of if, if they did have to pay, um, compensation they would have done quite happily. Yeah, uh, that probably was the, one of the farthest things from their mind when they were trying to make that decision. They were just trying to get without a, a doubt, yeah, trying to get a race in. But but let's talk about the the awarding of the points because there are some folks who feel that hey, you know, no race, you know, no green yeah. flag laps, there should be no points. And, and and at the end of the day, so you've got Verstappen going to pick up uh, what twelve and a half points for following a safety car around. And so what if he wins this championship by, you know, less than that 12 and a half points? You know what I mean? I, I, well, Ham, well, yeah, I, I Hamilton a, and Verstappen yeah. both have the half point along with Carlos right, Sainz. Right, Sainz okay. Not factor. Yeah, I, I don't think the, the, the half point um, sort of justification, you know, no, no, um, indicated there is so much of an issue. I think what... Um, you know, you can easily put the put the sort of circumstance on the other, on the other foot there and say, well, what would have happened if they had raced and Hamilton had crushed out and Verstappen won? Then you know Verstappen would have gained twenty five points on Hamilton. You know, there's always this lottery, isn't there? You know, Hamilton could have gone out and raced, and you know, and Verstappen crashed out, and Hamilton could have increased his lead. So they could have both crashed out, and Russell could have won. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, you know, and that was was rough from us. Well, yeah, he got a podium for winning a Williams after qualifying second in a Williams, but we kind of robbed us from seeing what he Russell could do in the wets. That's the one of the oh, bigger sure. travesties. Is that yeah, to a certain extent, you, you're very right. There. But you can only do what you can do with what's been put out in front of you. You know, he didn't have a choice to 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 change what he did. You know, he, people are criticizing. Oh, it's a hollow podium. It's not. I, mean, I don't have any. That lap he did in qualifying was phenomenal and it deserved every ounce of every point of every trophy that he got from that. Yeah, it kind of rewards him back from secure where the bad pit stop where Mercedes cost him a win and or a podium. So it kind of makes yeah. up for it in some ways. And also, Williams have scored both Williams cars have scored points in back to back races, which is the only team that can claim that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've done incredibly well. So, yeah, I certainly don't think that they've um, there's any sort of negativity about it or any anything apart from complete, from my perspective anyway, 
complete respect for what they did and justification for, for scoring those points. Um, yeah, you could argue that, you know, if it had gone the full distance, then maybe he wouldn't have finished it on the podium. And you know what? Chances are he wouldn't, but you can't make that differentiation. You know, you okay, cannot. Yeah, you'll never know. The world will never know. No. But let, but let, me, so, ask, let me ask you this, though, okay? Is it just that the, the Formula One travel schedule is too tight that we couldn't have a Monday morning race? Or, or, know, or, or I, weather just projected to be that bad all the way through? The rest of the week, because you know we see NASCAR and Indy so, race on yeah. Monday and sometimes Tuesday all the time. Oh yeah, I think where the issue comes with this is there's no precedent for it in terms of running it for a delay, and what that can induce is a large number of unknown variables. Now, I'm not saying this is the case, but if you look back to a, a, a similar race that was covering controversy. The Indy Grand Prix back in the early 2000s when only six cars competed. Now, one of the possible solutions pre-race there was to put a tyre chicane on that, what is turn one at Indy on the final corner there and prevented the cars from travelling at such high speed through that corner. And everybody would have thought, well, yeah, why don't you do that? It's a stupid idea not to do that. That would make perfect sense to do that. However, there's a lot of legal ramifications there. You know, that wasn't the designated part of the track. What happens if somebody had an accident in those circumstances and, you know, all of the other alternatives? Now, and, you know, so again, you go to a Monday race. Well, would you have had the full number of allocated marshals be available? You know, because the marshals are volunteers. They're working people. They, they may not have been able to take time off work to, to turn up and do that. Um, you know, m- medical supervision you know that's the big issue so if somebody had a, had a wreck and the, the medical supervision wasn't available then how would that what would the reaction to that have been and how you know would there have been any legal ramifications from that so i think that's one of the issues that they were facing and they couldn't guarantee the safety of the race which is their ultimate priority yeah because i don't recall a formula one race ever being run a delayed being run on a Monday. No. I can't, no, I, can't, no, I don't. I can't think of one it, ever. So it hasn't, it hadn't happened. And the only time they move the races through like safety races, like a spa in the early 80s, they moved it much later or they just ran it earlier the following season than normal. Um, when, it was 84, I think, when the track actually broke up. They'd resurfaced it and done a botched job on it. And as they were running on the Saturday, literally lumps of track were coming out of the ground. Um, so they deemed they couldn't race it. And they actually went back there later in the year. Um, I can't which, think. Of- which, which brings up the topic of there's an empty spot in the calendar where the Japanese Grand Prix was. Although I do understand. Yeah, that's a lot of flying around there, isn't at, it? Well, at that time of year, also, you, you yeah, could still be weather in spa. Yeah. You could easily have snow in spa. Exactly. At that time oh, of yeah. Year. That wouldn't be the first time. Um, you know, so yeah, they were, they, the FIA were put in a very difficult position and a very impressive position. Now, I think a number of things that they will take from this and a number of options they will address is looking at, you know, weather forecasts, for example. So, okay, I don't know what the weather, I mean, they, were, they had support races in the morning, so the weather wasn't that bad in the morning. They could have quite easily said, rather than a, 
what a two o'clock local start for the race, make it an 11 o'clock local start because there's no Sunday morning warm up or anything like that. They could have easily moved the support races, move those out because at the end of the day, people don't go to these races to watch, you know, the W series or Formula Three or Formula Two, and that's no disrespect to those, but that's not what you go for. You go for the Formula One, the main event, and you could have quite easily, I think, said, okay, we're going to start at 11. You know what? Let's just give it a go. And I know that they've done that in NASCAR before, they do that in golf and all these other sports you know if there's a thunderstorm coming through in the on a sunday afternoon then the pga tour will start the final round three or four hours earlier just to get it in um so i think we'll see a little bit of flexibility come out on that now obviously formula one is a very rigid sport probably the most um structured sport when it comes to timing and events and legalities and so so it, it can't be an opinion sort of based scenario it, it will have to be a factual based scenario so you know weather forecast would have to be very accurate and very very well determined and agreed upon by all teams to move that race start but i think that's something they will definitely have to look at to um you know prevent this from happening but again you've got to look at it to the same extent in 71 years of Formula One, this is the only time it's ever happened. Now, that's not to say it's the worst weather they've ever been in. I'm sure there was plenty of times in the previous 71 years that they did actually race in weather far worse than this. Oh, yeah. um, but Japan, obviously, we have Japan, different... Japan 76 comes to mind. Australia 91 yeah, I mean, comes Mel, to mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Adelaide in the early 90s. Yeah. When, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, even though they did stop that race. Uh, and Monaco in 84 when they stopped that race as well. Right. But, yeah. you know, th- there are these circumstances where, you know, there is precedent for something like this this sort of bad weather so it's like okay guys let's let's be a little bit proactive about this and and preempt these circumstances and and see what we can come up with and as i said i think that'll be the big change is that potentially having an earlier start for the race um and you know i mean last year we had a two race weekend uh, sorry two weekend two day weekend races so there are you know there are being more and more flexible with these things but again the teams need time because these all these races are about pure execution of, of, of plans and um, processes and procedures so if you turn around and say right okay guys you've got to start at 11 a.m the race race starts at 11 a.m they're like okay well we normally get to the track at 7 a.m on race morning we're now going to get to the track at 4 a.m on race morning so there's, there's a lot of variables going on there and a lot of things that have got to be put into place and teams agreeing upon but yeah, that's, um, that's I, not, I think you that's will not the kind of call you can make at the last minute no there has yeah, to you be a, guys we're gonna okay guys we're gonna start an yeah, hour this, yeah <laughs> the weather forecast looks bad you know let's let's look at this and have this opportunity in place for the weekend and you know what we're going to make this call at, you know, post-qualifying, you know. And, and you know, to a certain extent, it gives you a bit of flexibility. You know, you, you'd be more likely to say, okay, we're going to bring this forward two or three hours, um, you know, just in case, than, than leave it to the last minute and go, oh, yeah, um, we can't race, guys. Sorry. The only, I think the other problem is, like, the t- television networks and all that stuff, too. Where... There is that, but Formula One's a pretty big draw these days and i think and enough people now have access to like streaming services and on demand and you know like the you know amazon fire sticks and the google tvs and 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 apple tv products that you can you know you can stream these races these days um you know live and i know they have done that in other series and as i say a lot of 
Um, a lot of Formula One races now globally are shown on dedicated sports channels, um, which yeah. can adapt pretty quickly. Yeah, one could hope. I'm not sure how ESPN... You know how ESPN can be sometimes with some of their well, stuff. Well, they'd just stick it on ESPNU or something, wouldn't they? You know, or ESPN. Oh, yeah. I mean, the race was actually on ESPN2 this last weekend, wasn't that? Yeah, yeah, Jeremy, yeah. Um, but they could also put on ESPN News. You know, but but yeah. they also, if they're doing an early start, they could still start to broadcast at the time they had it scheduled. It would just be on a little bit of a tape delay. Tape delay, yeah, exactly. Because, so. because it's not like if they're starting it later where it's going to go into something. They could still use the time they had a lot of for Formula One if that was the last resort. Yeah, I think there's ways around it. And but again, that's something that uh, you know Liberty needs to sit down and discuss with the TV rights holders and everything like that, and really create this. Um, you know, clear plan because Formula One needs plans. It's not one of those. Formula One's not those one of those sports these days where you get the team managers around the water cooler and go, "Hey, boys, we're going to do this." Okay, cool, right? Yeah, we're doing it. You know, that's not how Formula One works anymore. It's 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 government by uh, by diplomacy sort of thing, and uh, it can it can get a little bit uh, a little bit silly at times. Yeah. All right, so let's let's move away from the topic of uh, of what to do in case of rain. And let's talk about some of the <laughs> some of the some of the driver movement news that we've uh, you know there's been some announcements we were hoping to hear over the winter break that didn't come forth, but now uh, it appears that we will have some announcements soon. And the first uh, one that's kind of official official is Kimi Raikkonen has announced that he will retire yet again. Yeah. At the end of the uh, again 2021 season, yeah. But did he ever retire last time, or did he just walk away? Did he just he basically walked racing? away? Yeah, yeah. I don't well, think he, he didn't go to rally in NASCAR for a cup of coffee. Yeah, he yeah, just yeah, did yeah. what he wanted to do. But no, I mean, I think this is something we we all saw coming. I mean, as much as we love Kimi out there, and he's still as fast as anybody. You know, he there's no there's no drop in his speed. I just think it's a for Kimmy, knowing the way he is, it's probably just a boredom thing more than a, you know, and, and you do need that sort of evolution within the sport of new drivers coming in and, and, and you know, drivers moving on from one thing to another and, 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 and that natural progression. And I think this is the start of the sort of domino effect, if you like, and the, the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle falling into place. So. Uh, it's you know of course everybody the big the big talking point for everybody is is George Russell and Valtteri Bottas what's what's happening with them and we all expected you know an announcement post the summer shutdown um, at Spa and and the drivers actually of course you know the way the media works they had Valtteri and, and, and George in the uh, you know interview room together at the same time and, and they must have looked we don't have anything to announce at the moment and then later in the week Toto sort of announced that yeah we've made a decision the drivers are aware of that decision but we're not going to publicly announce it until all of our drivers all the drivers concerned in this discussion have secure plans for 2022 uh, and that to my mind basically does push it very much down the route that it's going to be George Russell that they're going to pick um, because, if they were sticking with yeah, Bottas, yeah, Russell could, with, uh, William, yeah, if it, yeah, you wouldn't have to worry about anybody with South no. Twenty Twenty. And all you need, and all you need, you were making to do, a change. Yeah, all you need to do with George Russell's contract there is getting a little bit of white out and a photocopier, and you've got the contract written there, and then it's not a huge, um, you know, change. So, so again, those, you know, everything there sort of is, is aligning towards 
uh, it being George Russell who will be replacing Valtteri next year. And you would imagine with a lot of the, the, the sort of sound bites that have been coming out of uh, Alfa Romeo that um, Valtteri will be going there to replace uh, Kimi Raikkonen. Right. Uh, the, got... the other hot story puts Alex Albon into Williams. Supposedly Alex Albon in the Williams uh, and also uh, Nick DeVries in the Sauber to replace um, Antonio Giovinazzi, who again, you know, we talked about Giovinazzi a few times on the show. He's done good. You know, you can't, you know, the guy's been impressive, but, you know, he's part of the young driver scheme at Ferrari, but where's the opportunity, you know, where's the opening at Ferrari coming? They've got Sainz and Leclerc who are arguably two pretty top top tier drivers there especially Leclerc science is you know a great driver his own right maybe not quite that top tier drive but is even that's any better I doubt it um and then of course Ferrari have Mick Schumacher you know waiting in the wings there Callum Eilat who I think we'll probably talk about a little bit later is also on that thing I think Schwartzman's on that deal as well who's you know been been doing well in Formula 2 over the last couple of years so I just, I just don't think. I think Giovinazzi has been one of those guys, like uh, Jean Eric Verne or uh, Sebastian Buemi or Jaime Alguersuari, who, you know, when they were in the Red Bull scheme, you couldn't ask any more from them. It's just they were in it at the wrong time. You know, maybe if they'd been in it two or three years later or two or three years earlier, you know, doors would have opened. So it's very unfortunate for guys like this, and and they they may fall through the cracks, not because they're not good enough, it's just because of circumstance. So right. I think, you know, we because there's only 20 seats in Formula One. Exactly. There's yeah. only 20 seats. Yeah. Formula One has more qualified guys in their in their development programs than there are seats for them. And and some oh, guys, yeah. some very, very good drivers are going to be on the sidelines or in yeah. an in an indie car or in a sports car. Yeah. And I mean that's not on the sidelines in many ways because it's well, true. You know, they're still doing a damn good job there. I mean, you look at Albon. He's been doing DTM. I think he even had a win in DTM this last week or a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, there have been talk about him going potentially going to Williams, um, which is an interesting link. You know, would that sever his ties from Red Bull in the same way that um, Ocon lost his ties with Mercedes when he went to Alpine? You know, that's an interesting opportunity. And there's even talk of, um, you know, also potentially, you know, um, De Vries being available for Williams if they choose not to keep Latifi because, the, the talk coming out of um, Jos Caputo, the new chairman of Williams, is that they don't need a, in, in quotation marks, a paid driver now. They're in a financially stable situation that um, they can afford to pay a driver based on their ability rather than what money they bring to the team. So there's potential there, I think, for a few, you know, a few changes in that back end of the uh, back end of the pack. Uh, I think Haas are probably going to start. I think they either have agreed or there's pretty certain they're going to stick with the guys that they've got going into next year with Mick and uh, Mazepin. Um, so yeah, it's going to fall into place, and it, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if you know that it wasn't announced with with Kimi announcing his retirement. Um, there wasn't some announcements with Valtteri and um, you know George going into Zandvoort this weekend just to just to take a little bit of shine off Max. You know, yeah, yeah. could be a Mercedes ploy. Could be, yeah, get the spotlight off the off the hometown boy. So now, now you mentioned uh, Callum Eilat. Um, yes. Guy out of uh, Great Britain, uh, developed, Ferrari development driver. And he will be yeah. making. Runner-up in the, uh, runner-up in Formula 2 last year to Mick Schumacher, I think, yep. wasn't he? 
So he will be making his IndyCar debut at Portland. He'll be driving with uh, for Ricardo Yunkos. Uh, Yunkos, who was finding a partner to revive his team. Um, Luis, what's the other name? The other guy's name? Oh, I gotta, I gotta remember that. I know he apparently worked for Williams back then. I just, I don't know why that when I'm on the air, his name escapes me because they had it earlier. But we'll get back to that. But Yukos has been, you know, a smaller team in uh, IndyCar. He's been trying to make a good go at it. Had a had a full season a couple of years ago with uh, Kyle Kaiser and then a couple of other uh, fill-in guys uh, in there. He's kind of had to drop back to part time in Indy 500 only. And he, then he's kind of been just conveniently missing from the grid entirely uh, this year. But he was able to announce uh, that they're full season, two cars next year. And they're going to run um, the last three races of this year. And Callum Eilat will be in that car. Um, so it's see how he does. The team's bound to be rusty. Uh, you know, I don't I don't see him jumping in there and immediately impressing like um, – you know, Christian Lungard did in, in the Ray Hall car, but I think uh, getting a, you know, guy of uh, Callum's caliber in the, in that car could only help the team. You know, I, I think they'll have a respectable outing. It'd be curious to see how he does uh, at Portland, which it still looks like I'll be going to Portland for that one. But yeah, it'd be, it's Brad Hollinger, the other one. So it's Hunko's Hollinger racing. As That's the going one. Under. But it kind of tells you two things that the writing of the wall is there, that his Formula One career may not happen the way just how difficult the vacancies are there to begin with. To where I even talked about it a couple of weeks ago, we talked about it as well, that there's a good possibility we may not have a rookie in 20 on an F1 grid next year. That's just it doesn't look like the only way that could happen is if it's Nick DeBreeze or a Colin Mylon or, a, or somebody or whoever ends up the F2 champion gets an opportunity, but it does not look like the case at the moment. So for Ila to jump somewhere different, I think it opens the avenues that maybe F, if you were really good in F2, any car is an option if there's no Formula 1 seats available. And I don't think we should view it as a bad thing either. No, not at all. I, I think that guys like Erickson and Grosjean coming over here and finding success has has made IndyCar appealing to a lot of guys in Europe. And, and I read a quote that said, you know, Grosjean is their best salesman, IndyCar's best mm-hmm. salesman for. Uh, and of course, Grosjean was in the news. Also, he will be taking over the number 28 Andretti Autosport entry that has been piloted by Ryan Hunter Ray for the last decade. Um, Yeah, I think it was 2010 when he 2010 or 2011 when he first uh, signed on with Andretti. I believe so, because it was one of the years that he failed to qualify and and they bought him AJ Foyt's car and put Bruno Jacquera on the sideline. Yeah, but for good. Yeah, yeah, never made it back. So so we don't know the fate of Ryan Hunter Ray. Uh, We don't know who's going to be driving that uh, that coin car that's going to be vacated by. um, Grosjean, but we do know that, uh, you know, Grosjean is going to be with Andretti now, which is, uh, you know, it's, I think that's a, a win-win for the team. If you look at the way having Grosjean in there, it's kind of elevated the coin 
team. And if you look at the way that the Andretti team seems to really need some help, I think that's going to be a pretty good match. What do you say, Richard? Oh, yeah. I, I think that, uh, you know, no disrespect to the team that he's with at the moment, but I think it's, uh, you know, Grosjean is, is, I think, probably, in all fairness, um, exceeded expectations that, that most people had, you know, with him going there, especially after what he what happened to him post-Bahrain uh, last year. You know, he could have sort of freaked him out a little bit and he may have been off the pace, but no, far from it. You know, the guy was on it. Um, you know, straight away in IndyCar and has been very, very impressive and he deserves that opportunity at a, a bigger team and, and I think he'll bring some skills and experiences which I think we've discussed on the show in the past. Maybe Andretti are lacking a little bit, you know, that uh, you know, genuine um, winner. You know, I, I know that and when I say winner, I don't necessarily mean results winner, but attitude. You know, even guys who race Formula One for 10 years like Grosjean did and never won a race, they still have that winning and competitive mentality. And they they put in exactly the same effort required to win. And and I'm not saying that the IndyCar guys don't, but I, I, I think that their level of discipline and work... Uh, I may be wrong. In, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to sound disparaging for anybody. Well, I it may think, not be at I the same f- level. I think Grosjean will bring that. Yeah, I think Formula One is a whole lot more cutthroat, and, and you, yes. need to, you need to have a whole lot of a, you know, real thick skin to kind of stay in. Formula I mean, if you look at, and again, this is no disrespect, but you look at Ryan Hunter Ray. If that had been in a Formula One seat, he would have lost that seat two or three years ago. Easily, um, yeah. You know, you look at look at Marco Andretti. He would have been gone two or three years ago. I mean, I know you now, but you know, I mean. Um, you look and you look at some of the other guys, you know, they just sort of hang around because they're just, you know, one of the boys hanging around sort of thing in IndyCar. And in, and in, in Formula 1, you, you, you don't get that opportunity. So, unless, I, I certainly, unless you're Kimmy. Well, no, he's earned <laughs> that opportunity. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The boys earned that one. But, you know, I mean, is fast. It, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, th- there is something about it that I, I think Grosjean will be, uh, I think he will bring in a way, more to the team than the team will bring to him in terms of competitiveness. Right. I think he that's will bring that, that's exactly that work. Was... And I think it'd be really good for guys like Colin Hurth because, again, I don't want to question his attitude. But, you know, he threw away, I know it was a mechanical failure, but to my mind, again, he threw away a win at Gateway. You know, he he broke that drive shaft, you know, by impatience. again, Nashville. Yeah, you know. There's, again, and I, I hate coming across as being critical on the kid because he's phenomenally talented. But talent doesn't win you championships, as we all know. You know, discipline and, um, you know, being, you know, what's the saying? To win first, first you must, or to come first, first you must finish or whatever, you know. To finish first, first you must finish. There we go, that's the one. But, you know, and he's making, he's made a lot of mistakes. And for a guy that's been in this two or three years now, you've got to stop these mistakes and maybe having something like Grosjean around who can say, okay, kid, you know, this is the level that you've got to be at if you want to be successful. And, um, you know, I, I sincerely hope that, that he can do that um, and, and work with the other guys in the team. And now you imagine that Rossi will be staying on there. Um, you don't know about Hinchcliffe. I don't know if that's been announced yet, but again, he's probably. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure Hinchcliffe is going to be sent packing. Uh, yeah, now who fills that seat? Uh, uh, they're, they're I don't talking, know. But... Uh, Devin DeFrancesca, 
They're talking. Uh, guy yeah, I mean, right now he's he's been tipped for that seat. Uh, Which Kyle, begs the question: Where does Kyle Kirkwood go, or even Linus Lundqvist? Is he I, still in the championship hunt right now? I believe I don't know if he's in the championship hunt, but he's uh, he's definitely one of the the better guys in Indy Lights. Um, but I believe Kyle Kirkwood has been spoken um, in conjunction with the uh, the eighteen car, the coin car that would be vacated by Ed Jones and Ed Jones would be sent packing. That's the, the latest I've heard about Kyle Kirkwood. So they pot, so they gone now to discuss him. Have they brought up Jack Hawksworth into the mix? Because of course, Hawksworth runs the Vassar Sullivan insert machine. Now I haven't heard Hawksworth's name mentioned in a conjunction with an Indy card ride for quite some time um, now, but let's talk about Oliver Askew who is getting another chance. Uh, Oliver Askew, who was uh, with McLaren a year ago and, uh, you know, through a series of unfortunate events, uh, including a, a, a bit of a head injury, he ended up losing that ride. Um, he had a fill in stint in that car um, earlier in the year when, when uh, Felix Rosenqvist was um, injured, but uh, Askew will run the number 45 Ray Hall car with high V sponsorship in the last three races of the season, which blows a huge hole in my theory that high V is not interested in sponsoring cars in West coast races. But uh, I guess that high V is really. <laughs> yeah. You did mention that. I did say that. And I, I did. And I, and I said, wrong. I, and I said that watch long beach have 28 to 30 cars. Yeah. That's one, yep. that's one step closer. Yeah, so but I guess High V is all in. They are bought in. They're sponsoring the doubleheader at uh, Iowa next year. They're going to sponsor that forty-five car full time. And, and we all know Bobby Rahal has wanted that third full time car for a number of years. He just hasn't had uh, a partner the likes of High V who are who are ready to bankroll the thing. So, uh, so so good for them. I hope Oliver Askew uh, performs well here. I, I, I imagine that uh, Santino Ferrucci is still in the conversation for that seat next year, uh, as well as perhaps Christian Lungard. And, and there was another guy they tested as well. Um, Ray Hall did, you know, then, then of course the hot rumor still has Jack Harvey taking over Sato's seat and Sato perhaps returning to Andretti on a limited schedule, including the Indy 500. So, um, but, but again, some of that is speculation, but, but the ask you thing is real. The um, Kyle Kirkwood to, to coin is very, very strong. Uh, so we'll just have to see, you know, and Hinchcliffe's probably going to end up in sports cars or, or unemployed, you know, sadly after, you know, trying to make the comeback, he just, the guy just didn't perform, you know, and I know that's some of its team, uh, but he's got to shoulder some of that himself. He certainly doesn't look like the Hinchcliffe of old, which is no, really, really not, that, not that many years ago. No, it was like four or five years ago when he was winning polls, being competitive, winning races and all on the occasion. But I see Hinch, we'll see what happens to Hinchcliffe when the inedible gets announced. There's also the strong possibility that from what I understood that Myron Shank could be announcing their 2022 lineup soon. Could be Portland, could be some other time, but we'll see. But we're getting close to possibly finding out the fate of Meyer Shank as far as who's going to be Elio's teammate and whether or not Simon Pagino will be back with Pansky at all. Because all signs yeah, says he's not. 
that's the, all the all the uh, hot rumors have Simon Pagano partnering with Elio next year at uh, Meyer Shank, and of course the the number twenty two Penske car. Oh, that's a wild card right now because they, Penske could easily drop back to three cars. I think they operate better as a three car team than a four. Uh, but, but then again, they could grab a guy like you know. I've, I hate to say it, I've heard Rhinus VK mentioned in that Penske ride a, t- a time or two. Not not really strong because Penske kind of keeps their business close to the hip, but um, you know, certainly uh, wouldn't be out of po- out of the realm of possibility that uh, you see somebody go there, even if it's like a Rossi. You know, if, if uh, Roger wants to buy him out of his contract there. You know, we've heard that uh, in the past that Roger's been interested in Rossi. So, but uh, again, that one's a long shot. Yeah, I think, I think Renus is probably a long shot because I don't think there's going to be a way that Ed Carpenter doesn't let the same mistake happen to him when he knew Garden went to Penske happen anytime soon or again. Because they find, because I think Ed wants to have that driver that could carry the team for years to come that be a contender to win races. So I think learning from what new with the whole thing with New Garden, I don't think he, Ed is going to let that happen in that regard. But perhaps, money, perhaps but money talk, we'll talk eventually. But I was we'll going to say what to to hold a guy back from a Penske drive, which is you know the drive of a lifetime for an IndyCar driver. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. to hold a guy back from that. I I you know. I think even Ed would 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 wish Rena's well, even though it hurts his own team, because that is just like a dream come true for a lot of guys. I, that's just the, yeah, that's I, just the sentimental fool in me thinking that Ed would be a nice guy about it. <laughs> if you put a big enough check in from, I'm sure he would be. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see for sure. And but yeah, we'll see what happens at Portland next week. I know we'll discuss more about it. All I know is that Jimmy Johnson tested at Texas. I think that happened, and also a good possibility. I think there's been all but from that in October. He Johnson and Groshan will partake at the test at Indianapolis, where they could take their orientation. Yes, yes, they are both gonna gonna try to knock out the rookie orientation in Indianapolis here uh, at the conclusion of the season. Uh, but again, Jimmy. Ran a number of laps out there at Texas. I, I, I really didn't hear what the speeds were, uh, but he said, um, I think Jimmy's own quote is, man, those cars are crazy fast on ovals. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we are out of time. So, uh, uh, Richard, thank you. Luis, thank you. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. I want to thank you folks that listen to us week in and week out. But until next week, good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 